Will you take your Bible, please, and um, meet me in the book of Jonah? Jonah's in the Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament, in uh, one of the final 12 books that we call the Minor Prophets. Minor, not because it's of less importance, but because those just happen to be smaller books. They're, they're relatively small accounts. And so uh, we are considering this uh, story of Jonah and the book of Jonah. Last Sunday, we were introduced to the conflict in this book, which is recorded for us in the opening three verses. We're told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, instructing him to go to Nineveh, presumably to warn the people there of coming judgment so that any and all who turn from their sinful ways in repentance and faith would be graciously spared and saved. God's will for Nineveh was not its destruction, but its salvation. Jonah had other plans, however. Jonah hated the Ninevites and went as far as humanly possible in the opposite direction, catching a boat in Joppa to sail for Tarshish, located in southern Spain. But what becomes clear is that Jonah wasn't running from Nineveh, he was running from God, away from the presence of the Lord. And we talked about how this is common among people today, that it's part of our nature. It owes to the sin that dwells within each of us, that part of us that's been affected by the fall. At the fall of humankind, the human heart was divided as sin began tugging at that which was once entirely devoted to God. Ever since then, when sin entered the world, men and women have been born into it and thus have been running from God in one way or another. Each of us essentially, think about this, is either running to Nineveh or Tarshish. We're either running with the Lord and to the Lord or away from the Lord. The bad news is that Jonah ran. The good news is that God pursued which becomes evident through the rest of the book. So whatever your situation today, you can take courage because God will never let go of His people or His good purposes for them. And with that, let's read the first chapter in the book of Jonah. And we'll read verses 1 through 3 for context, and then we'll look more closely at verses 4 and following. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. But the mariner, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For they knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We come into this place a thankful people because of who you are and what you've done. We come into this place mindful of who we are and what we've done. And even as we read these verses, we see ourselves in these pages. We see ourselves in these people here because we are people too. Flawed and finite and failing in many ways. But oh God, we are your people. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have. And so we thank you. And we come now hungry and thirsty. Our souls long for the spiritual food of your word. The refreshing 
rivers of living water that is the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you come and minister to each one of us. We know, or I suspect, that even in this room there are people who are running from you. Maybe not an outright defiant disobedience like we see in Jonah, but running nonetheless. And certainly there are people here among us this morning who have grown detached and distant in their relationship with you, and it has left them feeling discouraged and defeated. Minister to each one. Receive us again as welcome sons and daughters. Cleanse us, strengthen us, uh, restore us, and then God use us. For we live in a world among broken and bruised people too. And so will you take us this morning and prepare us and equip us to send us out into our world with grace and hope and healing for your name's sake. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even now in this room. For in Christ we pray. Amen. So Jonah's running from God with God in steady pursuit. God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention, which of course got the attention of everyone else on the ship. And I believe that storm on the Mediterranean Sea that day is like the storms of life that we face today. They get our attention. So I want to consider where I want to go this morning is uh, basically I want to consider three things. I want to consider how those on the ship reacted to that storm. And how our reactions are very similar to ours. And then I want to consider Jonah and his reaction, but not wanting to miss the main thrust or point of the passage, I want us to close by reflecting on God and how to respond to God even this morning. So we're going to start with the men on the ship, Jonah, and end up with God. Let's first consider the sailors. From their reaction to that storm, I think we can draw five conclusions concerning how people react to life's storms today. And the first is this. We default into empty religion. When people are on the verge of collapse and all seems lost and fear sets in, they tend to lean upon their religious presuppositions. The unprepared student, for example, who calls to heaven for help as the unexpected test lies face up on the desk. Or the non-church-going parents who send their rebelling teenager to church to learn some good morals. Or the unbelieving soldier 
who goes out to battle and in fearing for his life makes promises to a God of his own making. These are all just a few examples of how we default into empty religion when under duress. And we see the same thing happening here. It says in verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Now, why do we call out to God in times like these? Could it be because instinctively we know that there, is more, uh, that there is more and that we are made for more? There is more to life and that we are made for more. The Bible says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Meaning that there's something within us that beckons us. We are made in God's image And there exists inside each of us a God-shaped hole that longs to be filled. And we try filling it with other things, but nothing but God can satisfy that particular longing. And I've noticed that that particular longing grows even more pronounced when we're in the storm and the sea is raging and nothing but God can keep us afloat. Even the captain, who I picture as a seasoned and salty sailor. Even the captain, when he finds Jonah asleep, demands that Jonah calls out to his God. Now, he doesn't know Jonah's God, nor does he even care at this point. What he cares about is survival. And in that moment, he was just hoping against hope that if everyone on the ship called out to their respective God, then as he says in verse 6, maybe, perhaps, the God will give a thought to us and we will not perish. Now think about this. In this interaction with the captain and Jonah, isn't it interesting? I know this has happened in my life, and I know or suspect it's happened in yours. Isn't it interesting how the unbelievers in our lives will sometimes look to us for hope and prayer. And so even in this small way, we have large opportunity to come alongside people and foster trust in the Lord instead of empty religion. We default into empty religion. Number two, we grasp at anything for answers. Coinciding with our longing for more is just a search for answers, especially when hardship comes our way. We want to know why. Why is this happening and who is responsible? So while the captain was down below with Jonah... The crew was on deck casting lots. And casting lots was like throwing dice. One way this was done, apparently, was by forming rocks or bones into cubes like dice. And then coloring each side either black or white. And so if both, when both rocks were tossed, if both came up black... They'd, they'd assume a negative answer. If both came up white, they'd assume a positive answer. 
if one was black and the other was white, they'd, they'd assume that the gods um, weren't sure or at least not willing to share. Now, these men had been in storms before, but this one was different. This was a squall of the highest order, and they had concluded that it must have been some form of judgment against one of their own. And so they said to one another, verse 7, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now picture this. Picture them casting the lot before each member of the crew, one man at a time. One by one, they throw the dice, and every member gets the exact same response until they come to Jonah. You know, Proverbs 16 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision comes from the Lord. And when in the storm, we're grasping at anything for answers. And now here, these men had found one from God. Thirdly, we rely upon self-effort. I'm impressed by these men, frankly. I'm impressed by their responses toward Jonah. The lot had fallen upon Jonah. Jonah had confessed that he was fleeing from God and they were ready to act. They say to him, what shall we do to you? That the sea would quiet down. And Jonah said, toss me overboard just as they'd done with the other cargo. Consider for a moment that Jonah was right. Jonah was correct in knowing that the sea, the storm was his fault and that if they tossed him over, the sea would quiet down. Jonah's advice for the sailors, as self-centered as it was, was true and was in their best interests, but instead of heeding the advice right away, they first tried everything else. I admire the sailors for not throwing Jonah overboard immediately because it doesn't it just show a degree of care and concern for him? So instead, the men rode hard, we're told, to get back to dry land. Literally, it means they dug in. They stood at the oars and gave every ounce of strength as they dug into the sea, straining with every pole, but the sea fought back. The sea grew even more and more tempestuous, and before long, their efforts proved futile. What this shows, hear this, is that our reliance upon self, however, even when properly motivated, can never save us from the storm. We can achieve many things, but salvation is not one of them. Salvation is of the Lord, and when the storms of life rage, the answer is not do more and try harder, just as the men couldn't overpower the sea, neither can we save our own souls. And this is what God wants us to know, because it's this reality that reveals a need for God, which leads to the fourth observation. We instinctively, internally, we long for grace and mercy. I want you to notice the progression of faith that's taking place with these men. 
Earlier, they were calling for any and every God they could imagine, but as they came to understand the storm and how powerless they were against it and why it was happening, they began calling out to the only one who could help them, the one true God. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. I think these men are voicing the cry of their souls by pleading for grace and mercy. They recognize that they are accountable to God. They recognize that God is in control. They use the name for God, Yahweh, that was personal between the Lord and His chosen people, a name that speaks to personal relationship with God, the very same name that Jonah used of God earlier in verse 9, because they long for God's help in the storm and for God to not treat them as their sins deserve, even as they send a man to his certain death. And immediately notice the effects of their plea when the once raging sea becomes like glass. You remember how in the days following 9-11, there was a palpable receptivity to the Lord. We'd been rocked as a nation which left us searching for hope and healing. People prayed more, right? People talked more openly about God. It was not uncommon to hear people speak of God and even seek God's blessing. As our vulnerability came to bear, so did our need. And many placed their faith in God as a result. You see, many start with gods of their own making, with empty religion. But in our quest for answers, when self-effort proves pointless, and upon seeing the need for divine help, many turn to God seeking grace and mercy, and they find it in rich supply. And the effect of God's supply is worship. God's supply lifts the soul to worship Him, which is point number five. We discover that God is worthy of our worship. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These sailors were not expecting to meet God that day. But when their pleas for grace and mercy were met by God's rich supply, they found him worthy of worship. Now, who knows whether all of them came to trust the Lord, but certainly some did. Their salvation from the storm led to the salvation of their souls. Because the fear, their fear of the Lord was a show of respect and honor and acknowledgement that God 
and God alone is worthy. And they, they worshipped exceedingly, we're told, with sacrifice, with offerings and vows. So from the sailors, we see our tendency, right? That when we're facing the storms of life, we default into empty religion. We see our proneness to grasp at anything for answers. We see our reliance upon self-effort. We see our longing for grace and mercy, which when it's met, it leads to the glad discovery that God is worthy of our worship. From Jonah, however, we see something quite different. And yet, still very much like us. Ironically, Jonah, the man of God, is in defiant disobedience to God. How strange, isn't it, to see Jonah fleeing from God while the the ungodly sailors are grasping for faith. The prophet is running while the pagans are praying. From Jonah, we see how inclined we are to, toward escape and avoidance. Fleeing to Joppa, boarding the boat to Tarshish, hiding in the hole of the boat are all attempts at avoidance. Jonah was avoiding God and what God had commanded. And when he told the others to throw him into the sea, still he was trying to escape responsibility and that he was putting his blood on their hands. He could have jumped overboard, right? But that would have meant accepting responsibility for his own actions. So instead, he made them responsible. From Jonah, we see how our actions affect those around us. Not only were these men on the ship in danger, but consider how many additional lives would have been disrupted had anything happened to them. Mothers and fathers would have been left without sons. Wives would have been left without husbands. Children would have been left without their fathers. Each of their families and their many circles of friends would have been thrown into utter despair. Jonah may have thought it was just about him, between just him and God, but that's never the case. Hear this. You never hurt yourself only when you disobey the Lord. Ask any child who's grown up in a home where addiction was present. Ask any spouse who has been emotionally and relationally ripped to shreds because of their partner's infidelity. Ask any church that has suffered the devastating effects of gossip within the congregation. Disobedience always, always puts others at risk. Like a rock thrown into a pond, the ripple effect is just obvious. And then from Jonah, thirdly, see how the sin in our lives leads perpetually downward. You know, I don't want to read too much into this, but it's just interesting how every step that Jonah took was down. 
In verse 3, he went down to Joppa. And after paying the fare, he went down into the ship. In verse 5, he had lain down and was as fast asleep. In verse 15, when the others hurl him overboard, he sunk down into the sea. Every move brought him lower and lower, even to the point of death. Sin is like that. A sure and steady downward spiral. Trying to live your life apart from God will always take you down. So what about God? Can we glean from this passage? I think the takeaway here is threefold. That God is able. That God is good. And that God is present. You cannot read these words without seeing the sovereignty of God. That God is in control of all that was happening. From the beginning, it was the word of the Lord that came to Jonah. When Jonah ran, it was the Lord who hurled a great wind upon the sea. When the crew threw Jonah overboard, it was the Lord who calmed the sea and then appointed a great fish to come and rescue Jonah. And I want you to know, sometimes we talk about God's sovereignty, but we don't talk about the effect or what it means. To say that God is sovereign means that He is able. It means at times that He will arrange the circumstances of your life in order to bring about what's necessary. And that no matter what comes your way, He is entirely able to handle it. Nothing is beyond His reach or the bounds of His might. Job said it well when he encountered God. I know, God, I know that You can do all things, he said, and that no purpose of Yours can be thwarted. You know, when we get hold of power, it typically doesn't end well. It's said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We often misuse the power and authority that's entrusted to us, looking out for ourselves primarily, even at the expense of others, but not God. God is good all the time and in every way. He who sits enthroned in the heavens and does whatever He pleases is pleased to work all things for the good. Now granted, at times we cannot see the good in every situation, but He who knows the end from the beginning is working redemptively in all things. Jonah was looking to escape and avoid, but God in His goodness arranged Jonah's circumstances in a way that not only saved him from certain death, but also countless others from death as well. Not only the men on the boat, but later the the people of Nineveh. I'm sure, I'm sure 
that the sailors would have avoided that storm had they the choice. And yet, by the good and perfect will of God, many of them came to faith. Thousands of years from now, think about this with me, thousands of years from now, when we are still rejoicing with them in heaven, they will look back on that storm and testify that it was the goodness of God that brought it about. Even today, as people today are reeling from hurricanes Harvey and Irma and now bracing for Maria, I suspect that someday we will meet some in heaven who came to trust Christ, not apart from these storms, but right smack in the midst of these storms. Not in spite of, but because of. And that all owes to the goodness of God. It's in moments like these where we see the love of God in, its all, in all its sublime beauty. For not only is God sovereign and able, not only is He good and working all things for the good, He is also faithful and present. He takes the initiative to move toward us even when we tend to pull away from Him. You know, I love how verse 4 begins with the word but. It's a word that contrasts what's about to happen with what's already happened. And so in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee from God, yet verse 4 begins by saying, but the Lord. In other words, although Jonah was fleeing from God, God remained faithful to Jonah. God was not there to punish Jonah, but to turn him around and restore him. Sometimes I know this personally, and I know this is common among people, that sometimes when we've grown distant, it's a, it's a strategy of the enemy to convince us that God is waiting to thump us. And what we see here is that God was not out to punish Jonah. He would suffer the natural consequences of his decision, but God's heart was not to punish Jonah, but to turn him around and restore him. Consider this from Psalm 139. When David says, where shall I go from your spirit? He's talking to God. Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Or these words from Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies will sometimes run out. Is that what it says? His mercies never come to an end. In fact, they are new every morning. Great. 
is God's faithfulness. No matter what your circumstance today, good, bad, or indifferent, God is there. He is working in ways that call for your trust so that you would stop trying to do life without Him and instead entrust your life to Him because He's Lord of all. Jonah and the others on the boat discovered that God is able, that God is good, and that God is faithful and present. And that's what God wants you to know this morning. Take courage then. Because God will never let go of His people or His good promises for them. Come to God. Confess your need for God. Confess your wrongs before God. Cast all your cares upon God. Because God cares for you. Amen. These are such great truths, Father that we need to hear over and over and over again. We just need to see your heart. We need to learn your heart over and again. Thank you for teaching us this morning. Thank you for pursuing us even when we go astray. Thank you for restoring us even when we sin. Thank you for proving yourself able and good and present in every way, each and every day. We bless you. Amen.